I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. An employee with the West Virginia Department of Natural Resources was sent to the ICU last week after he got hit with a tranquilizer dart meant for an elk. The man's name has not been released, but the West Virginia Metro News reports that the gun's double safety feature failed as the man was getting into a truck. He was not holding the gas-powered gun at the time, it darted him, and it's unclear exactly what happened. He was flown to a hospital in Nashville and is expected to be okay. The man was part of a project by the West Virginia DNR to reintroduce elk to the state. The DNR has been importing elk from other states since 2016, and the latest shipment from Kentucky should number about 40 animals. That would be a big boost to the state's current population, which is hovering around 100. State officials said at a meeting in December that once the population rises closer to 300, they'd start considering opening a limited hunt. I think it's safe to say that DNR employees are putting their bodies on the line to make it happen. If West Virginians ever get the chance to hunt the Appalachian Mountains looking for elk, they should give this employee a medal after he and his crew complete a firearm safety refresher course. Remember, treat every gun as if it's loaded and don't point it at you even if it's unsafe. They say it can puncture the skin of a rhino from a hundred... Ow! You just took one in the jugular, man! Is this bad? You should pull that out. That is not cool. This week, we've got the Snort Report, Hunter Harvest, Box Store Fishing, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. My week was awesome, because it's also the Snort Report. I met up with a couple of my good hunting buddies down in the Sacramento Valley, of all places, to hunt ducks for the weekend. It's an odd thing that at some point it becomes easier to connect with your hunting buddies when you travel 14 hours to another state. We converged on the farm of my friend Sean Doherty to hunt ducks over his rice fields. The weather went from blue skies, zero wind, and almost 70 degrees, 
terrible duck hunting weather on Friday to 40 mile per hour sustained winds and rain on Saturday to low fog and 7 to 10 miles an hour breeze on Sunday. We shot birds every day. We should have had limits on Saturday, but we just shot terribly. More shotgun shells on the bottom of the blind than I've seen in a long while. Sunday was amazing. Crazy flights of teal and widgeon. Lots of birds working the decoys. It was awesome. The variety down there is incredible. We shot in one day green wing teal, gadwall, widgeon, mallards, northern shoveler, and pintails, which is an amazing mixed bag. There were also enough geese around to fill a line of train cars from Sacramento to San Francisco. Longtime listeners know the scene of this hunt, but the blinds are sunken into the rice check. A rice check is essentially like a small earthen dike that forms the retaining edge of a rice field. The soil composition is primarily clay, so the bottoms are more firm than they are soft, and the water depth is about 14 inches. When seated in the blinds, a hunter's face is about the same distance from the water, you know, 14 inches or so, and that makes for a really cool experience. And one that still strikes me as unique, even though I've done it a couple of times. Running the dog in this scenario is fantastic. She has a great field of view, no obstructions, the line of sight is as far as the dog can see. We lost a handful of birds over the weekend, but these were all birds that we knew were hit, but never saw them go down. Everything else, even if it were crippled and diving, snort grabbed, often just by the tip of the butt. Had this been a small pond with like brush and grassy bottoms, I don't think this would have been the case. But the clay bottom made it uh, like a duck in a bathtub, even though the bathtub was very large. Great diving duck practice for the girl. Lots of shooting, so great practice on not breaking and marking birds. And I got to concentrate on the dog and BSing with my buddies instead of depending on only myself to shoot. We still had issues with bringing birds to hand. She's more willing to drop them off within reach than kind of pretend like they just don't exist when I tell her to pick them up again. But then if I actually get my butt out of the blind and work with her, she's completely compliant, as if she's saying, well, you got to do some work in this relationship too. This is not a cop-out, okay, but it's more of like an in-due-time thing with us because we just don't get to concentrate on being waterfowlers as much as we should. Need more reps, coach, is what I'm saying. At the end of every day, we had a very muddy, very tired pup, and the three of us weren't ever able to burn any of our sagging belly fat on retrieving our own birds because the snort report was all over it. One thing that was just so much fun because we had so many working birds that like never got into the decoys is just sitting there watching that dog's eyeballs follow birds, track them across the sky. That is something I will never fall out of love with. If you haven't seen it yet, old Snort Report and Uncle Brad Leone are live on the Meat Eater YouTube channel where we bagged some big Canada geese on a field hunt. You'll see Snort do some breaking on that episode, but you know, that's a year ago. Give it a watch and let me know what you think. And, you know, let me know what you uh, want to see us do next. Now, last night I turned into a dog. Then I turned back into being human. He can't ignore it. The Shaggy Dog. Moving on to the deer desk. Whitetail seasons are over in most states, which means it's a great time to take stock of America's most popular big game animal. The National Deer Association released its annual report last week, and it shows some interesting trends for the 2022 through 2023 season. 
first, individual hunter success rates are down about 7% from where they were in 2011. 41% of hunters harvested at least one deer last year, while that number was closer to 50% 10 years ago. At the same time, the overall deer harvest topped out at nearly 6 million, which is near record levels since the NDA started tracking that number. How individual success rates could be down while overall harvest remains strong is kind of a mystery. One explanation could be that more hunters are harvesting more than one deer, but the NDA actually finds that the rates of multi-deer hunters are down since 2011. Another explanation is that there are simply more licensed hunters than there were a decade ago. The number of hunters relative to the general population has declined, but the absolute number of hunters might be going up. Whatever explains that apparent contradiction, it's clear that there are some states with much higher rates of success than others. South Carolina takes the top spot where 71% of hunters are successful. Tennessee is next at 65%. Texas is third at 64%. And Mississippi and Rhode Island tie for fourth at 61%. On the other end of the spectrum, New Hampshire hunters are the least successful. Only 18% of hunters bagged a deer last year in the Granite State. Maine and Connecticut were only slightly better at 19%. Vermont clocked in at 21%, while Washington State posted a 23% success rate. If your state wasn't mentioned here, it means you're somewhere in the middle. Now, I wouldn't dare suggest that these numbers say anything about the hunting chops of folks in any of these states even though Cal's Weekend Review writer, Jordan Sillers, included some nonsense in here about Texans being obviously the best hunters, if you want to include folks who stare through cactus at bait piles. You know, that's a type of success. Don't you dare take the name of Texas in vain! I'm just pulling on your legs, Texans, come on. Success rates fluctuate with deer populations, and hunting regulations and landscape play a big role as well. If you live in New Hampshire and you brought home some venison this year, congrats. You did what over 80% of your fellow hunters failed to accomplish. One last highlight from this 56-page report, whitetail hunters are passing on more young bucks than ever before. Yearling buck harvest rates are at the lowest recorded levels, but the percentage of three-and-a-half-year-old and older bucks in the harvest is 42% of the total antlered buck harvest. This is the highest percentage of this age group ever recorded. A couple factors might explain this trend. Some states have imposed antler restrictions that take most young bucks off the table. Deer populations are healthy, which means hunters have the luxury of seeing more than one buck per season. Outdoor media is probably contributing to this trend, as hunters look to go after the same kinds of big bucks we celebrate on TV and Instagram. This also might explain the lower hunter success rates I mentioned at the top of this segment. If you're holding out for a big buck, you're less likely to be successful than if you're willing to shoot any legal deer. A more discerning population of hunters will inevitably lower the rates of success, which could be what's happening here. If you're still out in the whitetail woods, good luck. For everyone else, I hope you got to take home some venison this year, whether it was sporting a set of antlers or not. As someone who posts things on Instagram and contributes to basically all forms of media, I personally filled three out of the five doe tags I purchased this year and filled two buck tags. One a young buck, one an old buck. I also passed up the opportunity to harvest a young buck while I was in Oklahoma, opting to fill a doe tag that week instead. Now that my bona fides are on the table, bona fides if you will, If you don't know what that means, uh, in this instance, it means my credentials. 
that I am prefacing this next thing I'm about to say with. If you want to become a good deer killer, you need to fill tags. If you can't use the meat, chances are there are people you know who can, or even a state program that will help feed those in need. Sometimes these programs will cost you a few dollars, but that's money well spent because you can be a really good hunter and not be that great at pulling the trigger at the right time because you don't practice the act of killing, which may sound harsh, but it's the reality. Second point in my case for filling tags, and this is at this point in time universally true for whitetail deer in North America, we are operating at a level of overabundance. Take home a whitetail deer so that it doesn't end up as roadkill, or contribute to the degradation of the landscape so that a population crash occurs, or you should take one home so that it doesn't contribute to the spread of communicable diseases like CWD. Politically, You may not want to show your so-called followers or friends on TikTok or Instagram that you shot a small buck or a doe, but when we hunters fail to hit our harvest rates, that information can be used against us. Those hunting is conservation t-shirts will start showing holes if we let them. Moving on to the fishing desk. In what can only be described as an epidemic of lawlessness, Two different men and two separate incidents violated the sanctity of the Bass Pro Shop's fish tanks. The first incident took place before Christmas at a Bass Pro in, you guessed it, Florida. Video captured by a bystander shows a man holding a large fishing net with a 50-pound tarpon trapped inside. He had apparently climbed above the fish tank where he was able to scoop the fish out and then climb down. The video shows him calmly walking through the store with the fish flopping around inside the net which he also stole. We had planned to do an update on this story since I assumed the thief would have been caught by now. The video clearly shows the face of a kid, maybe 18, 19, with brown hair and a slim build, but somehow neither the internet sleuths nor the law have been able to track him down, at least not as far as I can tell. Best case is, this Silver King was returned to, uh, you know, a sleuth someplace to uh, go out and make more of them. Uh, If you think you know who this person is, we'd love to hear from him. Have them right in to ASKCAL at TheMeatEater.com. Now, criminals often inspire copycats, and that appears to be what happened just a few weeks later. Police arrested a man at the Bass Pro Shop in Leeds, Alabama, after he was caught swimming naked in the fish tank. The 42-year-old man allegedly crashed his car outside the store, stripped down to his birthday suit, as in naked, and cannonballed into the tank. He tried to get out of the tank the way he'd come in, but police were hot on his trail. He remained in the pool for about a minute, yelling at police and refusing to come out. He tried to exit by climbing over the glass edge, but he slipped and hit his head on the concrete below. Video of the incident, which I don't recommend looking up, shows him rolling around on the ground, holding his head. He apparently suffered a concussion, and he faces several charges, including public lewdness, disorderly conduct, and criminal mischief. Lately, I've been telling you guys about Land.com, the site that can help you find that little patch of ground to call your own where you can do all the hunting, fishing, hanging out with family you want. Land can be a great investment. Getting your own piece of land is something that can both generate income over time and also generate a lot of memories for generations to come. It's an investment you get to use and enjoy and take care of while it works for you. And any good investor will tell you to start investing sooner than later. Well, they've got hundreds of thousands of rural listings from all across America. Land.com can help you find properties for hunting, fishing, a lake house, a hobby farm, 
or if you just want to start a rental business slash family compound as a way to better secure future generations. Land.com will also help connect you with the right agent that specializes in rural real estate. So enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Moving on to the Colorado desk. You may have seen a news report circling the interweb about supposedly high rates of mountain lion harvest in Colorado. According to these reports, Colorado lion hunters killed 198 lions in the month of December, 44% of which were female. The Colorado Sun says this poses, quote, a risk to cubs born to breeding age lions in that population. The headline on that article implies that because of these statistics, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission voted to do away with the April hunting season and ban the use of electronic lures. This all might sound concerning, but it doesn't take much digging to realize that the entire crisis is almost entirely fabricated by animal rights groups looking to drum up support for a proposed lion hunting ban. I listened to a presentation by the state's carnivore and fur bearer manager, and the truth is far less foreboding. The group Animal Wellness Action obtained the stats via a public records request. The Mountain Lion Foundation claimed in a separate news release that these harvest numbers are unsustainable, that hunters are killing lions, quote, for no good reason, and that cubs are being left to starve. None of these statistics are wrong, but they deserve more context. First, it's not uncommon for hunters to harvest nearly 200 lions in the month of December. 
Mark Vieira, the park's wildlife department's predator expert, told the commission that hunters harvest about 500 lions per year between November and March. Sounding an alarm, about 198 cats killed in December is kind of like making a big deal about Chester Floyd going walleye fishing. It ain't exactly newsworthy. That 44% female harvest number is also misleading. About 40% of the annual lion harvest in Colorado is female, but only about 13% of the total harvest are adult females. Adult females are more important than juveniles from a population perspective, and the state's lion management plan caps that number at 17%. Hunters haven't exceeded the adult female harvest percentage, and the proof is in the pudding. Lions have been managed as a game species in Colorado for 55 years, and Viera called the project a success story. He told the Parks and Wildlife Commission, quote, All observations point to a growing, healthy population of lions, and hunting doesn't threaten the population in any way. As a side note, Viera also made a point to the commission about the importance of hound hunters in lion management. The number of lions taken in each age class and sex in Colorado is sustainable in part because so many hunters use hounds. In states where hound hunting is illegal, hunters harvest a much higher percentage of females because they can't discriminate. If they see a lion across a valley, they take a shot without necessarily knowing whether it's big or small, male or female. But chasing lions with dogs allows hunters to get a close look at their quarry after it's been treed, which is a fancy way of saying they can see the sex organs between their legs. If they're after a big tom, you can guess what they're looking for. They can verify that the cat fits the criteria before taking it home. Hound hunting is often described by the animal rights crowd as cruel or inhumane, but the reality is that it makes hunting a far more effective management tool for state agencies. Anyway, this story about hunters taking too many mountain lions in Colorado is what you might call a nothing burger, but the commission still voted to cancel the April hunt and ban electronic calls. If you've been following wildlife news, this might feel, in the famous words of Yogi Berra, like deja vu all over again. We should always be careful whenever hunting opportunities and methods are taken away, but I don't think we're looking at a Washington spring bear hunt situation here. First, it's worth noting that the Parks and Wildlife Department recommended both changes and the commission voted for both unanimously. They decided to cancel the April lion hunting season because the take was so low that the department no longer considered it an effective management tool. It was only open in two game management units last year, which was down from four units in 2021. The April season had only been around for about 10 years, and the bulk of the season is still intact. The department is also recommending that the total harvest threshold not be lowered from last year. However, despite the relative newness of the April hunt, houndsmen in Colorado are sorry to see it go. Justin Angelovich, the president of the United Houndsmen of Colorado, said he and his members are deeply disheartened by the loss of the April season. He acknowledged that the hunt did not achieve its management goals, but said the department should have done more to work with houndsmen to make the season successful. No one at the commission meeting spoke out against the ban on electronic calls, likely because devices have only been allowed for the last few years and only in a few lion hunting units on the West Slope. But a representative from the Humane Society chimed in to voice her support for the ban, as did a representative of the Mount Lion Foundation. The Humane Society rep applauded the commission for the decision and claimed that the devices help hunters kill more female lions and leave, quote, orphaned kittens to starve. I think it's also worth noting how they're already using the Colorado wolf reintroduction to go after hound hunting. Take a listen. Trophy hunting of Colorado's iconic mountain lions must stop. 
72% of Coloradans do not support trophy hunting and mountain lions with hounds. Packs of trailing uh, hounds will harm our wolves. It's basically state-sanctioned hound hunting. I guess now that Colorado has imported wolves from another state, they can call them our wolves. They used to be Oregon's wolves, and now they're Colorado's wolves. Uh, You guys keeping up with that? I know I've been hammering away on Colorado a bit lately, but you can bet that similar wars are being waged in your state. Uh, I do want to point out that uh, hounds want absolutely nothing to do with wolves. There's a lot of people uh, who run hounds in states with wolves that can testify to that. Hounds do not fare well when fighting a wolf or a pack of wolves. The political stars are aligning right now in Colorado, and anti-hunting activists see an opening. They'll push wherever they think they can get away with it, which is why it's so important to stay engaged. Good on those hound hunters in Colorado for showing up to the latest commission meeting and speaking their mind. I was happy to see about equal numbers of hunters and anti-hunters on the docket, and that's what we'll have to do if we want to keep our hunting rights intact. Moving on to the taxes desk. The new year is here, which means it's time to start feeling anxiety about taxes. Rendering our dues unto Caesar is never a pleasant experience, but North Carolina has a program that might make it a little more uplifting. Their state tax code has a provision that allows residents to automatically donate their refund to the state's non-game conservation fund. These funds are used to help restore species of concern, and previous projects increased gopher frog populations, improved surveying abilities and detection of hellbenders, and supported loggerhead turtle nesting. I know you might rather spend your refund on outdoor gear, and I may be in like breach of contract for not telling you to spend it on First Light, but you have the rest of your life to buy outdoor gear. This year, throw some of that cash you didn't already have to a cause that really matters. The anti-hunting crowd often accuses hunters of not caring about non-game species. How cool would it be if every hunter in North Carolina donated their tax refund to habitat conservation and turtle research? Habitat is habitat. Chances are a uh, duck, a quail, or a whitetail lives in there. I know it's a long shot, but I think this tax program is worth a shout out. North Carolinians can participate by checking line 30 on their state income tax form, or if you are filing with online tax preparation software, enter the contribution amount when prompted to North Carolina Non-Game and Endangered Wildlife Fund. And for you folks in the other 49 states, don't think you're off the hook. The Tar Heel State isn't the only one that has this program, so check your tax code. Moving on to the mail desk. Listener Adam Goodrow wrote in to express concerns about a bill currently being considered by the Vermont State Legislature. Bill S-258 would restructure the state's Fish and Wildlife Board and not in a way that will benefit hunters and anglers. Adam explained that the bill would do three things. First, it would strip the governor of appointing authority and split up that authority among the Fish and Wildlife Commissioner and various legislative entities. It would reduce the number of commissioners from 14 to 12, and in that process, change a system that has one member representing each Vermont county. Finally, it would strip the board of its decision-making authority and place it in an advisory role. All regulation and rulemaking authority would be in the hands of the Commissioner of Fish and Wildlife. On its face, this might not sound like an obviously bad proposal, but that's the tricky thing about these bills that adjust fish and wildlife boards and commissions. Depending on the state, these changes can make it easier to install anti-hunting representatives or remove authority from individuals or offices that would protect hunting rights. Without getting into all the details of Vermont politics, that's the goal of this bill. Here's what Adam says, and I think this is a great example of something you can send to your representatives. Quote, 
We have thriving wildlife in the state thanks to great stewardship from our Fish and Wildlife Board and Department. The biggest threat our wildlife faces is from development, habitat loss, and changing climate. Changes to the structure of our wildlife management system are not going to solve these problems and seems like a solution in search of a problem. Adam continues, quote, instead of having a regionally diverse board that independently sets the rules and regs with input from the Fish and Wildlife Department, one person will have all of that authority. I'll let everyone decide for themselves, but it seems like we are throwing out a successful system that has led to abundant wildlife populations so that one small interest group can have all things their way. Thanks for writing in, Adam, and well said. If anyone else knows about a bad bill or policy in their state, write in to ASKCAL. That's AskCal at TheMeatEater.com. It's a big country, and it's tough to keep track of what's going on in every state. That's why, uh, you know, we rely on each other. Thanks again. And I'll talk to you next week. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space.